I'm Sarah Lovestyle, and this is Influenced Equity. I will be joined by guests from a wide range of industries who all have the commonality that there's no perfect linear line to success or life. Together, we're gonna figure out what works for you, for what defines success along your journey. She began by studying Shakespeare in New York, where she waited tables and tried to figure it out. She's now the voice coach to household names like Rachel McAdams, Gal Gadot, and Ricky Martin, amongst so many. She's also the author of a new book called Permission to Speak, How to Change What Power Sounds Like, Starting With You, which was sold in a 13-way bidding war. We're learning to speak today, y'all. I'm thrilled to welcome my friend, Samara Bay, to Influence to Equity. Smart. Thank you. That was such a nice invitation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where did you get your start? Let's take it all the way to the beginning. You started uh, as an acting student. Tell us a little bit about your journey to now. It was windy. Um, Just just to honor that for the reality for anybody listening, right? Um, I was sure when I was 10 that I was going to be a regional Shakespeare actress. Like Shakespeare in the Park was going to be my life. And, you know, the reality is sometimes people's uh, dreams shift. And that is a different way to define it than to say I failed at acting, which Mm. is definitely a frame I could, you know, use on that story. But I kind of, I don't even believe that anymore. Like I went to get an MFA in acting. So in a way, I sort of did everything right. Like I was really methodical. I got a master's degree after doing acting straight since I was 10. Then I was in New York trying to make that work while on the side dialect coaching actors because I kept collecting. This is so ridiculous to even say it this way, but it's true. I kept collecting mentors who were like the best dialect coaches in New York and who were like, I think there's something in you. You know what? I have too many clients. Let me just throw you some. You think you're not ready, but you are. And I'm like, I'm an actor. No, no, I'm an actor, you know? And it took so long for me to make that mental shift. But when I did, I, I, it was because I looked around and I realized if I walk into a room and I am there to coach the lead actor and this otherwise quite intimidating director defers to me, I'll never forget when this guy said, oh, that was good for me. Samara, was that was that good for you? Talk about power. What a different experience than being a like mostly unemployed actor. Now I'm curious about the concept of collecting mentors. What does that look like and how does someone do that? It's such a good question, right, for all of us. I think it requires a genuine appreciation of someone who comes across your path who seems like they're on their own and maybe that their path is as windy as yours seems to be. Somebody who's willing a little bit to help you a little bit and then the ask obviously should be something that is makes it easy for them to say yes. So maybe it's just, you know, 10 minutes of their time. But yeah, I think keeping yourself really open because I was and I wasn't. Like I I saw those doors opening so much more easily. So I, I knew I should start walking through them. And I value those human beings. But I didn't value as much what they were doing, the, the path of a dialect coach, because I had all these old stories, you know, about who I was supposed to be. This entire show is built upon finding the power of your voice. Um, and mm-hmm. for me, I didn't find it until my 30s. I'm curious as to what that power of someone's voice looks like and how do we find it? I feel like for most of us, I guess I should just say for you and me, our 20s, I spent being like, I don't 
think I have anything to say. And then in my 30s and now in my 40s, I'm like, oh, I just was disconnected from from what I had to say. And actually, you know, you mentioned this wild bidding more experience with my book. And that has been a continual practice of valuing my own thoughts. And not just that, but acknowledging when I feel angry at people in my space who are getting it wrong. There's so many cultural stories around anger. It's hard, I don't mean to romanticize it, but that inner feeling of fire when you see somebody else who has your job title being irresponsible with their clients, oh my God, is that a valuable spark. That's why I sold this book. And just to be really clear, what I'm talking about is this expanded version of my career where it's not just dialect coaching, but it's coaching anybody who needs to speak up in the moments that matter. And I got into this sideways during like the 2018 midterms when I started coaching women who were running for office. It was totally pro bono. MoveOn.org found me. I didn't know that I had this skill set, but I said yes, because we were like desperate to do anything of use. I realized that so much of what I've been doing in the dialect world, which which is about vowels and consonants and like the minutia of English, was also not that. It was about how do we breathe when we feel uncomfortable? And especially when I started really thinking about what public speaking is, because that term is so, it's like, feels really old timey, public yeah, speaking. I was like, what does it mean? Uh, and I was like, you know, I think that what's really alive inside of that is this idea of the public. And for women, for people of color, for immigrants, a lot of whom were my clients, for anybody who who feels deeply different, the public was literally not made for us. And we know that on some intellectual level, but we don't realize that our feelings of discomfort when we're speaking up on our own convictions aren't just like run-of-the-mill nerves that exist too, and that's fine. It's also this like stigma, this generational story about who the public is supposed to be for and literally how you're supposed to talk in it. We can convince ourselves as much as possible, and we should. You know, I deserve to take up space. But we have to also do this next step where we go, the way I talk is the new sound of power. And if I'm spending all my time trying to police myself so I don't say, um or fill in the blank other thing. It's I'm doing such a disservice to my own voice. One of the things that I love about your story is you found your audience. They love you. When did you decide, I'm going to start teaching the world. I'm going to give little tidbits via social media, considering it's a place where it can be annoying, it's empowering, it can be distracting. Why social? The thing that happened, 2018 was this really wild year. Now it feels like forever ago, but I have to, I have to like honor it because... I was literally coaching Gal Gadot on Wonder Woman 2. No pressure, by the way. Uh, right? It's only Wonder Woman. I have Woman. A, a kid and a husband in LA, and I left them for a month oh and stayed at a hotel near Georgetown and like showed up for Gal every day. And I had this day off, and I was walking in the city, and I got this call from my alma mater. I went to Princeton undergrad. Mm -hmm. It was a, a bit surprising to me that they wanted to have me be one of the speakers at their big women's conference. But they called and were like, you know, we don't have enough uh, <clears throat> artsy types. <laughs> I was like, cool, cool. I'm I'll, there. I'm your I'm girl. Here. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> but I was like, tell me more. And they said, you know, we're thinking like a, this is, there's gonna be 3,000 people at this. Justice Kagan and Justice Sotomayor, oh. who were both alums, will be doing, you know, a 3,000 person plenary. We're thinking for you like a 50 person like breakout workshop on The Voice. And I was like, honestly, yeah. Yeah. Here's what happened. When I was about to fly out, 
I got this automated email that just like went out to all of the speakers that said how many people had signed up for my 50-person workshop. And the answer is 465. Yes. And it's because I had called it. This is my my like market research sort of accidental guess. It's because I had called it how to use your voice to get what you want. Mm. And here were these Princeton women, right? We would imagine a really accomplished, confident group who were like, oh, yes, please. <laughs> I'll be the first one to sign up. I need that. (laughs) And, you know, that hour 15 was life-changing. And partly what was life-changing is I didn't have all the answers. I tried out, you know, my material, my bits, uh, which largely made it into the book. But I tried out, like, does this work? Does this make sense? Is this a fresh way of thinking about the connection between our voice and our power and speaking about what matters to us in the moments that matter? And the resounding answer was not just yes, but I've never had a space like this. Oh, it was a hell yeah. I got that for, exactly. I got that from everybody. And there was also like, you know, half an hour of people hanging out afterwards to talk to me. Like, it just felt like such a rock star moment. And I had to figure out from that, well, okay, look, partly I have a fresh take on this stuff. Partly I'm pretty good at creating a safe enough space. So it was partly me and it was partly just the the desire to allow women, and not just women, but in this case, it really was women, to talk across industries and across um, generations about literally best practices. Here's what I found works to actually get heard. The answer to your question of how I ended up on social media was collecting these stories to tell my nervous system, we need this. I'm going to give you a challenge. Let's do it. Let's try it on me. (laughs) Can I have a lesson into how how does that work? How do I work out my voice like right now? Here's the thing. It's a dialogue. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways for people who are interested. I have, you know, smartbay.com slash goodies. I have a free warm up. It's like five, six minutes. And it answers that question of like, literally, what do I do in the few minutes before some high stakes speaking experience, whether it's, you know, a literal presentation or podcast interview, or just talking to somebody where the stakes are high and there's like a power dynamic. Oh, I used to throw up before interviews, like, or before a speaking engagement, because I, it just made me so sick. So the question is, what do we do, right? What do we do? If you throw up, fine. Like that's your body saying, (laughs) saying, um, I want to send you a message. This matters. I mean, like, you know, like that's fine. And what, and like, where do we put our energy? right? Right. Some of my favorite suggestions are what I would consider more in the obvious realm. Like, you know, we were doing beforehand a little bit of like bouncing on our knees and kind of remembering that our breath is a thing that fuels our words. Part of it is a little less obvious. Like I offer this one to you. There's a lot of social psychology around this. Basically, there's two different kinds of power. There's probably a billion different kinds of power, right? But this is what I mean. There's social power and there's personal power. Social power is what we think of when we think of people have power over other people, power over resources. Some of that is inevitable. Some of that is privilege. Some of that is we don't have control over in the moment. The other is personal power. And that, if that one, first one is power over, this one's power too. What is our own personal sense of what's our value system? Who are the people who love us, who get us? What is it to stand in that kind of power, to have agency, to decide that our ideas are of value and need to be heard? The invitation is that before you're about to speak, after you throw up and have like cleaned (laughs) off your lipstick, but before you go out, if you have like one minute, do you spend the time worst case scenarioizing and or going over your lines? Or do you bring to mind a moment when 
you felt like really seen. Like when someone who you admire admired you back, maybe it was an email, maybe it was a text, maybe it was a hype text from a friend, maybe it was a hug, just some moment, the kind that we throw away because we focus on what's wrong and not what's right. Bring to mind, this is the, this is the challenge, bring to mind one of those memories. I recently had a woman who's really powerful at a massive company, a woman of color, tell me after a workshop that I held her heart in my hands. Wow. And the idea is that you breathe this memory in with your whole body. You don't just do it up here because you can get really shamey up here. Why can't I hold on to this memory, right? It's not just the memory, but it's all of the shit around the memory. The goal is... We're trying to be really compassionate and loving towards right, ourselves. To ourselves. That's the hardest part. <laughs> it's easy for somebody else. Right? So how do we breathe as deeply as possible in this man? Breathe it in so that your body somehow recollects itself into the version of your body that was receiving that. Let yourself breathe a little. Let yourself like perhaps get a little silly. And feel how much that gives you literally, I was gonna say permission, but really power when you walk into that next space. How we prime ourselves for power matters. What advice would you give to those who are looking to find their voice when they've been kept down for so long? There's a few different answers. I mean, one of them is really psychological, right? The reason my book is called Permission to Speak is like the permission side and the speaking side are actually, they're they're both active, but they're different. The permission side is like, what do we have to tell our bodies to feel safe in a space? What would a love-based approach be? What would it be to feel good when you speak about what matters, what would it be to care, totally Samara phrase, to care out loud? Because when we figure out how to do that in a way where we're really like revealing ourselves, Mm -hmm. the care spreads. And here we are like spreading care instead of being afraid they're going to laugh at us, Right. right? Those fears are so totally founded, but it's such a different whole physical approach To be like, worrying that they're going to laugh at me won't actually set me up for the impact I could make. So that's part of it. That's the permission side. The speaking side, this is where some of that stuff that we have rattling around about, I say um too much, I say like too much, I have an accent, it it, it marks me as uneducated, it marks me as this and that. We get to look at that and go, okay, I'm going to drop a big thing here. We're going to say that is voice bias. So in corporate spaces where they are thinking about DEI training, right, they're thinking about what what diversity actually looks like and feels like in the space. I'd love to add sounds like because all of us, unless we're hewing to a really narrow standard of professionalism, all of us have quirks based on where we grew up and our identity and what matters to us and who we spend time with. And some of those quirks, this is where it gets dicey, have been holding us back. Some of them are habits we've picked up to play small. And some of them are just us. And the other answer to your question is, that's what we can all do. We can start thinking about who do I love to listen to and what do they sound like? Can you share the transition from coach to becoming an author? Imagining becoming an author, having a bidding war, is that what you expected? No. Really? Here's the thing. The direct line from that year 2018 when I had a lot of ahas, like I was staying really open to, as Angelino say, the universe, which was telling me a lot of signs that these thoughts that I had, they feel a little bit, a, a little bit radical, Right? Radical's good, though. I mean, I'm naming that like patriarchy and white supremacy is underneath so many of our accidental habits around our relationship to our voice. And then saying, and and there's joy inside of that. 
right? There's not joy inside of those oppressive systems, but there's joy inside of naming them collectively. So while I was writing the proposal for this book, I was still dialect coaching because, you know, look, I love my clients. There was a lot of joy there too. And actually, I feel like a tiny little, you know, radical act that I like to play is that I'm not saying I was a dialect coach and I'm now this because it feels like a little bit of an unnecessary delineation. The reality is when some of my favorite clients text me and say, I have an audition coming up, I say, sure, of course, like, let's hop on for an hour. Um, And, but then I started coaching people who were entrepreneurs, people who were politicians and in the business world and doing interesting things in the world, right? Like really trying to show up for their mission. And then once the book proposal came about, but even before the bidding war, I was like, oh, (laughs) I think I found my calling. So I'm happy to keep this other stuff going, but I, I can't ignore this. Here's what I'm wondering. Mm. What's next? Besides working with me, of course. What's next? <laughs> I had to sprinkle in that a little bit. No pressure, y'all. <laughs> I love that. Um, nothing like popping my podcast and just like picking up clients. Yeah, of course. Um, so sweet. So sweet. Um, well, look, the book may be out already. What a huge and vulnerable experience. It's like both the most thrilling and the most powerful I've ever felt that I have Penguin Random House, the, you know, the brand equity of that behind mm. me. And... I mean, I'm putting out my own thoughts. This was not like ghost written by someone. These are my words and my thoughts. And some of them are the kind I've never heard anyone else say before, which either means good on me, I'm an original, or it means I'm wrong. I mean, (laughs) just to name something that could be true. And to put it out there with my heart, like so totally open, saying, saying that I hope this is of use. And, you know, I have enough signs that it is that this will find its audience, but how big of an audience, how many people who really need this message will find it is such a massive unknown. I, I, Samara, I can't thank you enough. I I truly can't. I'm going to finish the book in 2.7 seconds because (laughs) I need all the tools. Um, I also audio recorded it, by the way. So you you or anybody I'm grateful. Oh my God. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You guys, we learned so much today. We learned how to speak. I know I learned a lot. I hope you did as well. A few takeaways that I want to give. One, you deserve to take up space. Two, how you speak is your sound of power. Three, social power versus personal power and the power to have agency and make decisions. Four, who do you like to listen to? Why? Now ask yourself if you would like to listen to yourself and why. Samara, thank you so much for coming on the show and for all of you out there. This seems obvious, but go pick up the copy of Permission to Speak because it's your time to speak. Thanks.